it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini, and I continue to have a very bad feeling about all this. Why now? Well, after we split up, like idiots do... I dropped into this hole in the ground where, yes, the lava is falling into water, creating the steam, and now I'm in a huge underground cavern, walking towards the power level on our on cooled lava rocks. Sure, it's dark, and yeah, it's warm and uncomfortable, but what's really upsetting is that with all the steam, it's difficult to see more than a foot or two in front of my face. It's slow going, but I have to make sure I don't just step into another river of lava or something. I, on the other hand, don't see anything other than molten lava. And how far from the power reading are you? Um... Uh, what? Well, I'm already there, and I see nothing. So then make your way back to me, and we can search together. But what if the warrior we're looking for, like, when you see him, he tries to escape? Through however many feet of rock and an ocean of lava? I mean, maybe he's pretty strong? You just don't want to come down to the steamy death cave. Nonsense, recruit. I actually wish I had gone. The moisture would be good for my skin, as opposed to this oppressive oven-like lava heat. So then why didn't you volunteer to explore the Death Cavern? Death Cavern? That's dramatic. And because you seemed so scared of the ocean of lava, I assumed you'd want the alternative. After spending the better part of two years with you, I've learned that the alternative to something bad is always something much, much worse. Well, I know just the way to distract you from your arduous journey. Let me guess. One of those podcast discussions. Full marks, recruit. Right you are. Let's jump into this week's topic of discussion. And this week, we are finishing off, I believe, right? The uh, the 23rd? Yes, I believe it's the 23rd. The 23rd, Budokai Tenkaichi. And we'll be talking extensively about... Tian Shinhan, with a discussion of episodes 96 through 100. It's another so five kick, episodes. So kicking that off, episode 96 is titled Tales Tale. 
this episode is the real Goku versus Krillin. Uh, but at this point, they've traded a few blows, but nothing serious has caused a shift in this sort of even playing field of the match. After a few bad jokes and a lot of staring, Goku kicks off by using a Kamehameha into a downward rocket fist into Krillin's face, immediately followed up by a knee to the gut. This is probably the most brutal thing I've seen in this show up to this point. Like, <laughs> I actually recoiled in pain watching Krillin take this beating. Little guy takes it in stride, though, hopping back up to his feet. We get some really nice animation of this one as well. Uh, the exchanges are smooth, and you can see the animation art direction really starting to hit its stride here. Uh, Krillin fires a Kamehameha. Goku blocks it with his hand. But it's a ruse all along. Krillin used the flash and distraction to grab Goku by the tail. You know, everyone assumes when Goku's tail is grabbed, he he loses his power. The count for, for knockdown starts. Krillin is nearly assured victory. Right at, at Mr. Announcer's nine, Goku suddenly jumps up and, like, whip cracks Krillin into the floor with his tail. And it would appear that Goku no longer is bothered by having his tail grabbed. Krillin lets loose with a barrage, and Goku retaliates by turning invisible. Or at least, moving so fast, he's basically invisible. All to set up a jump scare that causes Krillin to involuntarily jump out of the ring. Or at least that's how it looks. He actually chopped Krillin in the chest eight times and then kick him out, kicks him out of the ring. That brings us to the championship match. Episode 97, final match, Goku versus Tien. Uh, but first, a recap of Goku versus Krillin in a scene that totally isn't padding for time in any way whatsoever. <laughs> The draw of the main event is still strong, however, even pulling Yamcha from his hospital bed in order to watch the fight firsthand. Then we cut to the 80, to an 80s aerobics video on, on a TV where, you guessed it, Roshi has parked himself for, quote, martial arts research, end quote. Also, Goku's in his underwear? Uh, I think we should probably just ignore that for now. <laughs> Bulma and Lunch show up, and it turns out that Goku is in his underwear because they were busy cleaning and mending his clothes, because I guess that's all women can do in this situation. Uh, Oolong has already departed for the stadium to secure seats, and everyone else soon follows. Meanwhile, at his own hotel, Tien is still unnerved by his encounter with Master Roshi. He tries to double down on his hatred for Goku, which is so effective it radiates from him and makes him float. Our heroes line up outside the ring before getting an absolute epic introduction from Mr. Announcer that hits all the highlights from the earlier rounds. Anyways, now that everyone is properly hyped for the fight, it's time to get to the, into the ring and settle this feud. The fight ex- gets off to an explosive start with an early Dodampa, uh, but the real stunner are the visuals for this fight. The visuals are so clean, I actually enjoyed watching Goku get smeared into a wall. This episode <laughs> ends way too soon. I could watch that animation on loop for eternity. It is smooth as hell. That brings us into episode 98, titles, titled Victory's Edge. This episode opens literally on the same frame as the last one ended, and I already missed the visuals from the last episode. It's not just the visuals either. What happens next gives me such tonal whiplash, I am literally wearing a neck brace right now. We are introduced to Tien's volleyball attack. With this technique, Tien bumps, sets, and spikes his target into the ground. Goku bounces back on his feet like his name is Wilson and decides he's now going to take this fight seriously. Before Tien can even realize it's happening, Goku slaps him around and kicks him into the air. He even throws some shade by pulling the Kamehameha wave that would have finished Tien. There's some banter and a few comments from the peanut gallery, as well as the Dragon Ball staple of waiting for your opponent to recover so you can fight them at their best. Damn it, Goku. Speaking (laughs) of weird fighting etiquette, why did Goku pull his Kamehameha anyway? Well, it appears our little country bumpkin has started using his head. He needs to save the energy. Up to this point in the fight, there have been very few fancy techniques. 
But a little after the halfway mark in the episode, they start to elevate the fight and exchange of high-level techniques, like a multiple Zanzoken into multiple fake-outs into baits and switches, leaving Tian lying face-up in the ring. Tian retaliates with a, a, another solar flare, only for Goku to block his attack and follow up with a brutal gut punch. How does he survive the solar flare? By stealing Roshi's glasses off his face, of course. But Bikini, you say, doesn't that mean Goku touched something outside the ring and therefore loses by default? To which I say, shut up. He takes a deep clean <laughs> to the chin, so I say fair trade. There's another quick exchange at the end of the episode with Tien coming out on top, but something seems suspicious about this outcome. And so, episode 99 starts called Tien's Insurrection. And it, 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 like, I, like the end of the last episode, uh, Goku appears to be acting a little strange. What's going on? I'm sure Master Crane's laughter has nothing to do with it. Wait, no, it looks like he's having Chaozu use his powers to influence the match. What a shock. Uh, it nearly results in Goku's loss, but he uses a Kamehameha to regain his footing. A valiant effort, but Chaozu's interference is proving to be too much for our hero. Fortunately, his weird behavior is tipping off his friends that something's off. And the worse Goku feels, the better the animation looks. Lunch attempts to help by taking out Chaozu, but Crane just sort of flicks her out of the series. Finally, it occurs to Tien that the Crane school might be the bad guys. He and Master Crane have a heart-to-heart, -heart, or I guess brain-to-brain? Tien decides, however, that he wants to win this fight honestly. He renounces his dream of becoming an assassin. Crane threatens Chaozu. Roshi blasts him into next century. Tien does a little bit of a heel turn here, stating that his goals have shifted from murder and revenge to becoming Tenkaichi Budokai champion. Now that all the distractions have been dealt with, both our fighters start going all out. Goku wins the first exchange and kicks Tien so hard he leaves a skid mark in the ring. Tien states this was payback for earlier, and now that they're both even, he's going to bust out a secret technique. No, not the Kikoho. The forearm technique. It gives Tien four arms. Bet you never would have guessed that. And that brings us to the last episode today, episode 100, The Spirit Cannon. This episode has more everything. More insane moments, more awesome fighting, and more recaps to pad the episode. Anyway, the extra arms make Tien more dangerous, and it's nearly enough to knock Goku out of the ring. Goku tries an air assault, but instead finds himself completely restricted in Tien's grasp. And half a dozen headbutts to the gut later, Goku remembers he has a tail. Goku goes for <laughs> – he basically slaps Tien in the face with his tail until he, he eventually lets him go. Goku then goes for a pantomime of the forearm technique, claiming he will now fight with eight arms. But it's really just slate of hand. This exchange results in a simultaneous collision, much like at the end of the Jackie Chun match last tournament, but both fighters regain their feet and continue the match. They both try some grappling, but that doesn't seem to get them anywhere until Tien's extra arms disappear. Things are looking good for the three-eyed man. Then they just sort of tries flinging him off with his legs, which is surprisingly effective. I don't know, I guess Tien's done playing games because he's decided on what I can only describe as martial arts Russian roulette. Uh, he's going to use his Kikoho now, which is an attack that's so crazy powerful, Tien might actually accidentally unalive himself. So why use such a powerful technique if killing your opponent is a disqualification? Well, he actually wants Goku to dodge the attack because he's what he really wants to do is blow up the ring instead. He can fly, but Goku can't, so clearly the easiest way to win is to make sure there's no ring for Goku to stand in. Real quick, I love that he aims it by making a triangle with his hands, but it fires out in a square. That's just... I love that. <laughs> the Kikoho completely destroys the ring and Goku. And that's where the episode ends. A little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, mild cliffhanger, which gets resolved, 
gets resolved fairly early in the next episode. So if we end up talking about it a little bit, I guess, oh well. Uh, because our next episode, we will probably just do that episode because it is actually it is actually the it's, last of the. It's Kenshin it's one Mario. of those episodes where it's kind of hard to figure out where to put it because it's sort of like half. It's it's one of those like kind of bridging episodes between the end of one arc and the beginning of another. So. Yeah, well, we'll do that episode and then we will do our usual manga versus anime comparisons and all that stuff. But for this episode, we're gonna talk about Tianxin Han. Before we kind of get into some of that, though, is, is Toriyama is, you know, he insists that he's still making everything up as he goes. He's never thinking ahead to the next chapter, never thinking past the chapter he's currently writing. But I have to believe there's a modicum of mistruth here. And we talked about this a little bit, but mm-hmm. when you get to the semifinals and it's Jackie Chun versus Tian and Krillin versus Goku... Only finals matchup that makes sense is Goku versus Tien. Sure. It's not like the the, the first tournament where Goku kind of could have lost at like any point maybe. And it would have been like the, well, I'll just have to get stronger next time. You know, when you get down to the final four in this, like, like I feel like some of the biggest who's going to win anticipations are A, the finals, but also like. You don't necessarily know who's going to win between Krillin and Chaozu. True. But once it gets down to Krillin and Goku and Jackie Chun versus Tien, you're like, well, I know. It seems pretty obvious at that point. It's the only finals matchup that makes sense. I got to call BS on Toriyama a little bit. I I can understand that. But I also like what he does here because because it is so obvious that it's going to be Goku versus Tien. That the the Jackie Chun versus Tien and the Goku versus Krillin fights do more to just hype up who we know is going to win, to the point where we know that this final match is going to blow the doors off of anything that's come in this season or in this series yet. And it, it it's it's excellent. Like like you mentioned, the the animation is so crisp, it's so smooth. They knew what they were doing, right? They knew that they had the battle of the series so far, and they took the time to realize that these are these are great episodes. There's there's a little bit of padding. There's the the episode. It might be like the victories. Ed- One of the episodes between Victory's Edge and Tien's Insurrection feels like it goes on a little long. Maybe those two. Maybe those two could have kind of been one. Yeah, I could see that. But aside from there being a little bit of padding, there's just some real great like battle exchanges. There's the great. I love all the sort of like trading off of techniques. And, and stuff that's happening here. There's definitely some in these final 10 episodes. You remember I, I mentioned at the outset, let's be on the lookout for some p- possible Star Wars parallels. They yeah. really start to pop up in these last 10 episodes. But, yeah, just a wee bit. So, <laughs> so when when Goku and Krillin are fighting and, and Tien can see Goku moving very fast, this parallels a concept in Taoism that... Whatever level of cultivation you have attained, you can perceive anything at or below your level, but nothing above. And in fact, you might not even believe such things even exist. Everyone in the audience thinks Goku has disappeared, but Tien, who's on par with Goku, knows better. He knows he's moving just very fast. The crowd And the crowd then also thinks the end of the fight is boring. They think Krillin was scared out of the ring. 
But Tien knows the truth, and he could see that Goku landed like eight blows on Krillin. Mm-hmm. Then that brings us to the solar flare, which was that that was used in our previous episode, but let's yeah. talk about it now. The solar flare is called Taioken in Japanese, and this is Supreme Sun Fist, and it has its roots in Taoism, uh, as many of things in Dragon Ball do, where a similar technique calls on practitioners to take a deep stance and punch at an unlit candle. If practiced enough over the course of three years, one's punches eventually gain enough power to melt candles. Sick. The solar flare, then, is a method by which Tien is emitting all of his yang, or light energy, in a single blast, blinding his opponent. Solar Flare is actually not a bad translation, but though even the translation has the word sun in it, Taioken is more about internal energy and emitting and and sort of channeling your internal energy than necessarily like reflecting anything external. It, It has a slightly different connotation to it, I think. Maybe. I can see that. A little bit. But again... This tournament is all about light versus dark and those things contrasting with each other. So, of course, Tien gets a a solar flare attack. The volleyball attack, then, is a parody of Attack Number 1, a manga that creates a shoujo, or young girls as opposed to shonen, manga genre, basically. This is like the... uh, We talked about... Mr. Jiangxi movie last time that created the Jiangxi subgenre volleyball or attack attack number one is a volleyball manga that creates the shoujo or is is probably instrumental in creation of the shoujo manga genre it kicks off a bunch of copycats and creates the sports manga subgenre along the way as well so Toriyama is using sports comedy as an actual martial arts attack, thus making a joke of a joke. And also, this is this is a thing that happens from time to time in a lot of manga, is you'll get mangaka that have like little Easter eggs to other people's work, just kind of like as a as a a tip of the hat, if you will, to their success. Yeah, and then the the four armed Tn. Shioken or Shioken. I don't know which. I, I again I don't speak Chinese, unfortunately. Is called the four supernatural fists technique. In traditional Hindu culture, and thus in a lot of Chinese and Japanese culture, deities with three eyes often have four or six arms. In our Crane Hermit episode, we mentioned Chapa O's technique, use of a technique that would remind viewers of Ganesh, and here we see it more explicitly with four actual arms rather than an illusion on Tien. As we get more into explaining about Tien's third eye and what Toriyama is using that eye to tell his viewers about Tien just at a glance, this use of four arms as a connection to deities will even make more sense as we go further along and i guess one other note about this is we're gonna talk actually i'm pretty sure i think maybe about 
we may or may not. I might have saved some of that. The the actual tri-beam or kikoho, whatever. The kikoho, yeah. If we if we do talk about it, I guess spoilies for next episode, but <laughs> I can't remember if it's in these notes. It doesn't I, I'm not seeing it, so I might have saved it for next time. Alright. Well, so let's get down to talking about TN. In Japan it's not TN with an I. <laughs> get it? <laughs> it's Tien Shinhan. Or Ten Shinhan, sorry. This is a Chinese style Japanese food whose name translates to heavenly fairy rice. It's a crab fried rice with a thick, sweet sauce topping. The food is named after the city of Tianjin or Tianjin in China. It's served in most Chinese food restaurants in Japan, but not in China itself. Toriyama says, even though he's a strong, cool guy, I used a well-known name from Chinese cuisine just to be silly. For me, I choose the basis of each name based mostly on silliness, which is why they usually end up being as stupid as this. <laughs> Those are his words, not mine. I love the self-deprecation. Like it's 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 consistent at least. I'll give him that. Uh, there's no pure answer on whether it's Ten Shinhan with Ten being a shortened form like Tom for Thomas or Nick for Nicholas, or if it's Ten space Shinhan with Ten being his familial name like the Son in Son Goku. Uh, though it seems like Ten Shinhan is his given name and it's not his it's not his first name Ten and last name Shinhan or I guess vice versa if you use the Asian naming convention. So yeah. anyways, <laughs> <laughs> Tian's appearance is most likely inspired by Gordon Liu. Uh, Liu is one of the most famous and prolific kung fu actors ever and is even one that casual film goers, goers will be familiar with as he played Johnny Mo, leader of the Crazy 88, and Pai Mei, the masterful teacher of The Bride, both characters in the Kill, Kill Bill films. Tian wears Chin Dynasty uh, official clothing. Did I say that right, Chin? King? King. 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 So Tian wears King Dynasty official clothing, just like Master Shen and Chaozu. Uh, this is because those officials are most often villains in kung fu films. During his fights, Tian removes his coat and thus removes the crane emblem from his body. Hmm. I wonder if there's some meaning there. <laughs> Tian has a third eye called a Tenmei, which is a metaphysical eye that allows a very well-cultivated Budo Taoist to see into other dimensions. People with the eye are thought to be godlike and have the power of true seeing. Toriyama knows this and speaks to it in an interview, so we know it's intentional, at least more so than his typical use of culture being somewhat accidental. Right. And yeah, I, it's it's interesting, though, like, you know, when you say his he looks like Gordon Liu and you think about what he looks like, like. I mostly know him from the Kill Bill movies. But mm -hmm. you think about what he looks like as Johnny Moe, like just like take the the like mask off of him and you're like, wow, yeah. that that kind of is close, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so talking about the Tenmei, Budo Taoists operate under the belief that we all exist in a world of illusion. Scientifically, this is somewhat accurate, as we know there are Colors and spectrums of light that the human eye cannot see. Particles too small for our eyes to observe. And constant motion of every single particle in the universe that we cannot perceive. However, humans have the vestigial remains of a third eye in their brains. And this vestigial organ is called the pineal gland or the pineal gland. And it has the complete structure of an eye 
but it's inside your brain. The pineal gland has analogs in the animal kingdom where snakes, for example, have a parietal eye, which is a light receptor that actually allows them to perceive environmental changes that they cannot physically perceive and helps them observe and it helps them avoid predators. So like they have this thing that can kind of like detect light and temperature changes. And so if you're like a desert snake out in the desert and a hawk flies over, you perceive its shadow, even though you can't necessarily see it. I'm also definitely thinking of a movie that we've seen <laughs> involving pineal glands <laughs> from beyond. <laughs> yes. And it, and in fact, that doubles down on this uh, whole seeing into other dimensions thing in that movie. Oh, yeah. That movie's awesome. <laughs> it's it's a real acquired taste. I'll just say that. <laughs> it speaks my language completely. <laughs> that is that is the that is the the jelly language right there. I, I enjoyed it myself, but I, I made the mistake of watching it with somebody else and they did not like it. <laughs> There's a lot of really cool stuff about that movie. Like if you, if there's the there there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So that, that movie is about a it's a based on an H.P. Lovecraft story, and the story is not too dissimilar from the book in that it's about like trying to see into the another dimension uh, that we can't perceive with our eyes because we're lesser evolved beings, I guess. And uh, they create this machine that helps them. And in the story, they see into this other dimension and like, it's just, it's like, it's like a Lovecraft story. It scares the absolute pants off of the, the narrator or author of the story who then is like, now I know that like giant squid monsters are just like hanging around my head at all times. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I could see how that would probably break somebody's brain. And, and in the move and in the movie, it, the machine actually affects your pineal gland until it shoots the third eye out of your head like a tentacle and you go crazy and start eating people's brains and there's like giant said, rubber worms and there's all kind it's there's there's uh <laughs> the, <laughs> the one guy is is fighting the worm in his his red underwear i remember that part too <laughs> There's there's tons of overt sexuality, you know. If you if, if you find Barbara Crampton hot, which I do, uh, she walks around like in a in a dominatrix outfit. So there's a, there's another good excuse to watch it. So Taoists do not believe that the pineal gland is entirely vestigial. So they are they're from Beyonders. <laughs> they... Quite the tie-in I was not expecting to make with this episode. <laughs> Taoists believe it's where consciousness resides, actually, and it is undiluted by the illusions that your physical eyes perceive. Cultivating yourself can allow you to open your pineal gland for your th- or your third eye and allow you to see the true nature of the world. True seeing is opening a tenmei to see the reality of this dimension and additional dimensions. Toriyama notes that being raised by an evil man, Tian has had his ability for true sight clouded some. Uh, 
This is why he is generally more understanding when in battle than when around Master Shen. He's able to see more clearly. He's able to use his Ten Mei when in battle more clearly because Tian is internally a good person. His third eye is a physical manifestation of this and why Jackie Chun decides to step out of the ring and allow him to win and attempts to teach him rather than fight him. We know, or, or even Jackie Chun knows, just from seeing that he has this third eye, that Tian has cultivated himself. He has trained hard, and he is a man who first and foremost believes and then seeks to see. He's not selfish. He's not clouded by earthly constraints. But he doesn't have full command over all his powers because he can't see that his master is plainly evil. And this is because he's kind of raised by this guy. He's like sort of brought up by Master Shen. So Tian's Ten Mei shows to everyone that he's a good person, but he's being raised by bad people. And Toriyama draws Tian with the Ten Mei, not to show us that he literally has a third eye, although he does, make no mistake about that, but to communicate all those things about his character easily for his readers to be able to understand. They know the moment they see him, the Japanese reader knows the moment they see him, that this man has great potentiality for good things because he has a Tenmei. Remember, Toriyama wants his manga to be easy to understand. Also remember when we said that Tien's use of forearm technique would make more sense? Toriyama's making it pretty explicit that Tien is not a bad person. He is, he is almost deity-like. Because traditionally, traditionally, you know, deities have four arms, so Tien is, is on that, like, spectrum. Traditionally, only those with a Tenmei can see key attacks, but that'd be boring in Dragon Ball, because then we wouldn't, and neither would, like, any of the other characters on the show, like, you know, Goku. So all those stunning visuals we fell in love with would just not have happened. <laughs> <laughs> no one would be able to see special beam cannons and Kamehamehas and spirit bombs. So all characters in Dragon Ball can see the physical manifestations of Ki. So then why does Tien have a Tenmei? In universe, official guidebooks actually say that Tien is an alien for the Mitsume gene or three-eyed people but also that he's an Earthling. So he's basically an alien that was born on Earth. These guidebooks, however, come out long after the series is written, and while they are to some extent signed off by Toriyama, we kind of hate that idea, so why else might Toriyama have drawn Tien with a Tenmei? <laughs> one possibility is that he's paying homage to Osamu Tezuka's manga, The Three-Eyed One. Uh, however, there's a deeper, more cultural reason why, and it's worth noting because it makes its first mark in Eastern culture in Journey to the West. And we all know if there's one font of traditional culture Toriyama plums for Dragon Ball, it's Journey to the West. Many supernatural beings in JTTW have a Tenmei, and a few manifest this physically, the most important of which is Erlang Shen, a character who is friends with Neja. Erlang Shen is a popular Chinese deity uh, considered an iconic loyal son who rescued his mother from hell and is known as a monkey killer. Huh? who mm -hmm. can strike down magical monkeys and white apes with his archery skills. Erlang Shen is ultimately called upon by the Jade Emperor to attempt to make Sun Wukong pay for his crimes against heaven, and during their battle, they transform into many creatures to attempt to gain the advantage. One of the creatures Erlang transforms into is a red-crowned crane. Mm -hmm. during, his, eh, 
During this battle of wits and transformations, Erlang uses his third eye to see through Sun Wukong's disguises and tricks and ultimately gain enough of an advantage to become the first person to defeat Sun Wukong and drag him to heaven to make him answer for his crimes against the realm. He cannot do this without a great deal of outside assistance, just as Tien is assisted from Chaozu and Shen during his battle with Goku. Yeah, Erlang Shen is the um he's the guy who gets Sun Wukong trapped under the mountain that then why can't I think of the name of the monk? Swanzong? Yeah. Uh except it's it's not Swanzong. It, it's the it's whatever the it's whatever the monk's name is in Journey to the West. He was yeah, based the, the on the guy, Swansong. he's got like three different names. The fact that I remembered one I think is is commendable. <laughs> I agree. Listen, I if agree. I was a batter, a 33 batting average is pretty good. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. So, yeah, that's a lot of stuff about, about Tien and Tenmei and why he has a third eye and stuff. And this is this is another character where, like, he gets he gets memed along with Chaozu of, like, Dragon Ball logic. Why is this dude an Earthling and this dude, Goku, is an alien? And, yes, I... I hate the he's actually an alien explanation i I really do awful lot of aliens on this planet that's all i'm gonna say about that because it just it just conflicts so much with sort of what the roots of this character are you know i i'm so i'm not opposed at all to aliens being introduced to dragon ball and i think that is a huge i think that's a huge piece of Dragon Ball's success ultimately is really when it's like what what makes Dragon Ball Z take off so much to me I think at least is that you're really mixing I feel like that's where you get like the real true mix of eastern culture and western culture you've got the eastern spirituality and the, the the whooshing and wuxia and kung fu type of stuff that we've all come to know that that gets established in Dragon Ball for sure and is all all the energy attacks and everything come from cultivation and they come we, we're 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 at some point gonna do a discussion about like the Kamehameha wave itself and they all come from you know your inner spirituality and your and your personal growth and all those things that are they're very Eastern ideas and then when you hit z you really mix that hard with like science fiction and western culture and you bring in aliens and laser beams and cyborgs and yeah brains in a jar (laughs) and i think that's what makes dragon ball so successful is when it starts to really really mesh the east and west like that in the z portion of the story and so I'm not opposed to aliens in my Dragon Ball at all, but like Tien is an alien from the three-eyed people that we never see anywhere else ever in Dragon Ball at all. And this is some explanation that's in some guidebook that like uh, it doesn't like it's never been referenced even in the years afterwards. Yeah, no, it it absolutely feels like a little bit of a cop out. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it it almost feels like and I don't I don't know, like I don't know if these guidebooks are released in in Japanese, but it it, like it almost feels like a like a 
stupid explanation for Americans that you wouldn't want to explain all of the cultural stuff behind a, te- a Tenmei. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, yeah, he's an alien. Don't worry about it. And I think that probably just goes back to, like you were saying, he sort of unconsciously adds all of these cultural aspects to it. And when asked to actively think about it, I think maybe he panics a little bit <laughs> and just kind of comes up with a new reason. That and that 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 might be also part of it. That's um you know, we we've we've talked about like how Toriyama's kind of attitude towards this mirrors a lot of like John Carpenter's attitude towards Halloween. And there's a great quote that I've I saw a long time ago. But it's starting to make its rounds again. I I don't know why exactly, but it's from John Carpenter about Halloween. And someone asked him, like, what do you think about all these new sequels? And he said, well, let me tell you, whenever there's a new Halloween sequel, something amazing happens. I get a call on the phone and they say, we're going to make a new Halloween movie. And I say, yeah, okay." And then I I extend my hand. I put my hand out and a giant check falls into it. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sounds about right and and toriyama is probably like yeah whenever they want to put out one of these guidebooks they ask me about it and i say yeah whatever and then i get a check (laughs) and then i go out and i buy a bunch of model cars with it (laughs) so i don't put too too much stock into these guidebooks i i I mean i these sort of source books are for for lots of different shows and stuff out there i always kind of look at them as just sort of fun side stuff that isn't necessarily canon yeah okay so yeah and that's kind of how i look at this too it's like oh that's that's cool and interesting oh i wonder i wonder what they would ever do if they actually like used these weird aliens in the show like what they would do with them and then you know i i just don't really incorporate that into what the show actually is right and that'd be, you know, I guess it'd be something I hate it only because they've never, ever, ever, ever mentioned or done anything with it in the show. Tien has never been like, oh, why am I the only guy with a third eye? I, Although I yeah, I don't think it's actually brought up by anybody at all. As far as I can remember, there's a few jokes during Th- this fight that 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 are just like little quips and one-liners that I'll be curious to see if they're in the manga when we go and read the manga where mm-hmm. Tien is like oh you know wh- like whatever you you can't trick me with with he's like he'll say something like you know three eyes are better than two you know like yeah little things like terrible pun <laughs> yeah like little things like that that are said throughout these episodes but like no one is ever like gawking at his third eye or talking about his third eye or because let's be honest if if we were out in the wild and we saw a person with three eyes uh there there would be some curiosity to say the least (laughs) i'll say i hate it just because of that but like if they did at some point a story about like tien finding his people like if these these three-eyed people are like maybe they're like also similar to Saiyans, you know, where they're planet conquerors or something. I could get down with that. Like use it for something. Yeah. Yeah. 
like I said, it, to me, it's it's not canon until it's actually in the show. Right. Like the like the revelation that Goku is a a Saiyan or I. Again, we, we've said this before. We'll say it again. I say Saiyan as opposed to Saiyan or Saiyajin. That's just what I say. I I'm sorry. <laughs> But yeah, the, habit at this point. the revelation that Goku is a Saiyan is is used and it's useful and it's expanded upon. And I'm sure if it was like if every if Dragon Ball ended at the end of Dragon Ball and then there was some guidebook that came out like 30 years later and was like the reason he has a say a tail is because he's a alien from planet Vegeta. I'd be like, this is the dumbest <laughs> dumbest thing i mean uh, would you really sit down and you think well, about it, like a lot of these storylines are absolutely ridiculous but we we go along with it because right but ball. but you know it's the if you're going to introduce something that changes so much about what a character is then expand on it otherwise i'm just gonna like throw it in the garbage because i don't care true <laughs> and to their credit I mean, he, he he does do that. Like, once it's revealed that Goku's a Saiyan, that, that basically becomes the central storyline of the, the show from that point. Yeah. But, so, back, back circling back around to Tien, this is a, this is a character that I have kind of gone in phases with as a as a Dragon Ball viewer. You know, you, you... As someone who came into the show with Z, he was always just someone that was just kind of there. He gets a cool moment during the Cell Saga... Where he's doing the tri beam like over and over and over and over and over the the tri beam that is a square <laughs> to uh, to semi perfect cell like he gets a cool little moment there, but other than that he's just kind of this guy that's in the background. But then he gets a cool sort of redemptive type of thing in Super where he gets asked to join the Universe Seven team. So I've I've kind of gone up and down with this character. I lo- I like him though in general. Um, he's sort of the, he's, he's sort of the, uh, the, the, the human piccolo in a way, you know, he's just, he's, he's a counterpoint to a lot of the zaniness that's happening in the show always in that he's just like steady Eddie. Yeah. He's, he's piccolo before piccolo, which is funny considering what the next story arc is. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's just he's like uh, he's one of those characters, right? Who's just it's you need the straight man around occasionally. True. Yeah. No. Definitely. Well, uh, everyone else that would be typically that would be Yamcha up to this point, which is kind of why I'm a, a little I've I've always been kind of weird about Tien because like uh, at this point in the series, like Yamcha's kind of been that straight man. And now they've just introduced another character who is also a straight man and sort of almost like phases out Yamcha's purpose. This is this is definitely where uh, Yamcha starts to really it's, fade It in. becomes a running theme in his life where he's just kind of injured on the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good day for him. Yeah. And so... So yeah, we mentioned I mentioned way back when we started this arc that like if you really pay attention to this 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 arc and and look for like other like cultural touchstones, you'll probably see a Star Wars parallel. And if you really like Jackie Chun is Obi-Wan, 
Goku is Luke and Tien is Vader. And if you start looking at this through that lens, you see like when Jackie Chun steps down and allows Tien to win slash when Obi-Wan allows Vader to kill him, mm-hmm. how it changes the dynamic moving forward for the rest of that series. It changes the dynamic moving forward for the rest of this arc in Dragon Ball. It changes who Tien is. It it it's a catalyst. And then, you know, you got the 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 interactions between Luke and Vader or between Goku and Tien being another like huge driving factor behind what ultimately brings this character from the dark side to the light. In fact, they, I think Roshi literally mentions a couple times about Tien coming into the light, like explicitly. Yeah, because that's like the themes of, of this tournament are about like light versus dark and, and everything. And so, yeah, it's in shadow versus sun and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a like, fairly kind of kind of tropey relationship in general in like storytelling you know the 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 master and his spurned student versus his newer arguably goofier student you could <laughs> you could see that just as easily in like kung fu panda with uh boy i don't remember all the characters names but i got the, you on this one but the red panda is the master and the snow leopard is like the the evil apprentice so master shifu which is a, a great pun name and then uh tai Lung is the snow leopard this is one of my favorite trilogies by the way <laughs> it's a fantastic trilogy it doesn't get enough love i've only ever seen the first one. Oh man do yourself a favor and when we're done doing this podcast Cue up Kung Fu Panda 2 because Gary Oldman is the villain and he chews scenery, man. I'll have to make it a point to watch the Kung Fu Panda trilogy. Uh, The third one's probably uh, got the weakest villain, but thematically I think it's pretty strong still. But yeah, there's that relationship again. The, the former master, the protege, and who is turned evil. And the goofier new protege. (laughs) And, and then the new protege who's goofier or at least more lighthearted, you know. But we know that Toriyama is a Star Wars fan. And oh, yes. Return of the Jedi is 83. And let's see. this. Oh, this arc was published in... I'm on the 23rd. This is only... This is the 22nd, right? I thought... I think we talked about this last episode. I yeah. think we thought it was twenty third last. This episode. is the twenty. This is the twenty second. But okay, so we, uh, we'll this... we'll print a retraction <laughs> officially right now. There you go. We were wrong last episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty uh, good turnaround. This was published in eighty seven. So okay, yeah. So just a few years after. Yeah, it's it's probably not wholly unintentional. I would say that's a good uh, assumption. A movie that came out somewhat recently as we're recording, but this episode won't be out for probably five, six months, but still it's probably going to be relevant. 
a movie that came out in June of this year, and that being June of 2023, uh, Across the Spider-Verse. I'm, Bikini and I have talked about this off air. I'm pretty convinced that Spider-Man 2099, uh, Miguel O'Hara is going to be shown to be more misguided than evil. Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment. And that will come about through his interactions with a young, plucky, potentially naive hero, Miles Morales. So, there again, these these are it's it's interesting how all these these stories have like this hero that goes on like a, a like a trip or like a sabbatical or like some kind of journey, I guess. Oh, like a hero's journey. Oh, that's good. We should we should coin that phrase. That's a good one. You know what? We should we should and then, and then we should um we should publish like some some works about, you know, like the uh the 17 different steps that that a hero must undergo to have a true hero's journey. 17, huh? That's that's an interesting choice. In fact, I'll 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 I'll, I'll throw a plug to another podcast. Okay, if you want to learn more about who came up with the psychology of the hero's journey as it relates to fiction and as it relates to film in general, check out a podcast that's run by uh, a couple of our friends. Uh, It's called the name of the podcast is Failure to Franchise. I may have plugged this podcast once in the past, but what these guys do is is they look at movies that were intended to launch franchises and for whatever reason didn't strike with audiences or didn't get a sequel, whatever, and they talk about why. At the beginning of every episode, they contextualize what you're about to listen to with like a uh, some sort of a, a anecdote or something that's in some way related but usually kind of almost like tangentially to what they're going to talk about it's just sort of like a set the scene type of thing you know uh it might be a little more directly related like when they do uh dick tracy they'll talk about like like the setting the stage will be like in 1989 batman came out it was a huge hit now it's 1990 and uh, whatever company made Dick Tracy, I forget, is now going to try and do Batman again. They, at the beginning of their episode number 71, which was about the movie. <laughs> I never even heard of this movie until I listened to this podcast. The Seeker, The Dark is Rising. I have also never heard of this movie. Contextualized the movie under the auspices of it being one of the most generically hero's journey movies they've ever seen. And at the beginning in the opening five minutes or so, uh, the, the little monologue that contextualized the episode was all about the hero's journey. Who first coded, who first like coined the term, who first wrote down the 17 steps that a hero takes in the hero's journey and then who also translated that to film and now there's like in a in a film there's considered to be like 12 steps and some of them are you know like 
the hero finding out that he's special and the hero initially receiving his call to adventure and rejecting his call to adventure and then ultimately answering his call to adventure and like that all the things yeah all the things um so there's a little plug for failure to franchise talking about some movie that that no one has ever heard of Speaking of shameless plugging, do you know what we forgot to plug last episode and so far have not plugged this episode? Anything, Godzilla movie. Anything Godzilla? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dig deep. Come on. You got something for us? <laughs> <laughs> I could go down the route of like former master things with uh, maybe the movie Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, but that'd be a stretch. Fair enough. We gotta let these things happen naturally. You're right. I, I shouldn't put focus on it. It really it really <laughs> hampers performance. It'll it'll happen naturally eventually. I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> we all know. We all know. I think those of us who have watched the show that, and then if you haven't, spoilies. Uh, Piccolo grows giant. Ah uh, yes. So um, that's I'm, all right. Most most people probably forgot, and apparently. Piccolo also forgot. So, did so. <laughs> but yes, back to Tien. I like Tien. He's neat. These episodes were great, honestly. Yeah. Um, and next time we're gonna finish this arc off, and that'll be it. And we'll talk about the Kikoho. Yes, Kikoho. I had never, I had never called it by its. I had always called it by its dumb tribeam attack. <laughs> The translators have a hard job. <laughs> I don't envy them. I don't either, but you know what? And we'll we'll I'm sure we will talk about this more in the, the next episode when we talk about the attack and then go through the manga. It's like it translates to like spirit canon kind of. Okay. And why wouldn't you just call it that? Cuz I mean really Every one of those energy attacks is a spirit cannon when you think about it. I guess. When we do when we do our episode, which I'm I'm not picturing we will do until we get to the most iconic Kamehameha battle in the franchise. So I think everyone who's seen the franchise will know when we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. But when we get to our episode where we discuss like the Kamehameha wave we should try to remember and remind ourselves that we should in general also at that point talk about like why some of these attacks are just like transliterated like Kamehameha mm-hmm. and some of them get ridiculous translation names like Tribeam. Spe- special Beam Cannon? Is that – I don't even know for sure. Like is that one – I. You know, I actually don't know off the top of my head. It just sounds ridiculous in English. But it, it sounds so ridiculous. It sounds like one of those, like, it was translated, like, literally. That is that is possible. You know, like, um, like oh, here you go. Mo- like, Godzilla movie titles. One movie that actually fell into this in the Godzilla franchise and it never got like a really americanized name like so the movie there's a there's there's a couple like the 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 2000s movies are known as the millennium era mm-hmm. the 
the uh, there's one movie called Godzilla Tokyo SOS here in America and in Japan it was Godzilla versus Mothra versus Mechagodzilla Tokyo SOS that was the full name of it there was another movie a couple years before that that was in Japan its title is Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah Giant Monsters All Out Attack that is a mouthful yeah and when it was brought to America that's the title. They didn't come up with like anything more clever. I'm going to go ahead and guess that one didn't perform too well. And none of them got theatrical releases. So, <laughs> like, uh, Question answered. None of them performed well. <laughs> um, in America, at least, right? Uh, that one, I'm not sure if that one did okay in Japan. I can't remember anymore. But... Um, but yes, there you go. There's your, there's your Godzilla trivia for the day. There's our our naturally occurring Godzilla reference. Is special beam cannon might be one of those things that's just like straight, like purely translated. All right. Tune in, in probably 50 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what, like a couple years from now? <laughs> yeah. To find out. <laughs> See, we gotta This is how this, you, is, this is this is how you build a consistent listener base. This is how you tease people into 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 keeping with you, yeah. <laughs> gotta stick around for the next fifty episodes so I can see how this pays off. <laughs> uh not to be rude, but could you like shut up for a minute? Rude. We're telling our listeners about a somewhat important character and talking about Godzilla and talking about heroes' journeys. I'm just doing our due diligence. No, I mean, I'm within 10 feet of where the scouter says I should be. Oh, what do you see? Nothing. Steam here's too thick. I already told you that. Well, announce yourself. You don't want to bump into a possible new recruit and startle them. Oh, good idea. Hello? Hello, is anybody there? I'm with the Frieza Force, looking to recruit new members. Is there someone here who can hear me? Oh. Damn it. Not again. What is it, Bikini? You didn't hear that just now? That power reading is spiking. No, wait. It's spiking and splitting. And... Multiplying? What the hell? I don't know. I'm up top. Use your scouter. Go infrared. Use the echolocator. Do something instead of just standing there being confused. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, switch to infrared. Uh, oh. Oh, no. No, 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 no. What? Well, if I had to describe it, I'd say about a thousand gargoyles? Hang on, I'm on my way. And also, oh, oh no. Ah! Hang on, recruit! Ah! What is happening to Bikini in the bowels of Planet Zeddy 3? Will we escape this situation and continue our podcast adventures? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum.
Forum is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 